You're listening to the Going Offsides podcast. Your home for lacrosse news, stories, and everything in between. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Going Offsides podcast. And we are thrilled to have with us today, you know, one of the most public, more notable names in all of lacrosse, and that's Quinn Kesnick. Quint, welcome to the show. Excited to be here. Excited to have uh, joined Lax All-Stars last week and uh, looking forward to this season and, and future seasons. Yeah, so let's dive right in. Let's talk about that. So obviously, LES has kind of is in the process of reinventing itself. And part of that was bringing you on as a contributor. Can you talk about a little bit what it is you kind of envision that looking like? What kind of things you're going to be bringing to the table and producing on a weekly or monthly basis? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, I was with Inside Lacrosse for, I don't know, 20 years, maybe 15 years. And, and I have nothing but positives about, uh, you know, Bob Carpenter and Terry Foy and Matt Kinnear and, and former employees there. I love that experience. I just felt like I was at a stage where I was kind of making the donuts a little, uh, doing the same stuff. And, and I felt that at this stage for me, uh, you know, spiritually, uh, uh, just just to get that vibe back that, you know, looking into the transfer portal, quite honestly, was, was going to be beneficial. So I, I kind of look at it like I'm a, you know, late career free agent who who's going to benefit from a from a change of scenery. And with with the Lax All-Stars uh, relationship comes a lot more responsibility, quite honestly, uh, in terms of covering summer events, in terms of covering uh, the high school recruiting and the pro uh, they're also going to let me for five star write about college football, college wrestling that I come in contact with, uh, and and any of my other endeavors. So there's a it's a it's a lot. Uh, I'm excited uh, to serve the fan, and I and I feel like I'm uh, reinvigorated. Yeah, it looks like we get you for your PG year then, <laughs> or yeah. for your COVID year. PG, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's, that's fantastic, and it's kind of cool because so I I will work with you at LAS and with the podcast and stuff like that, but I will be the one running the five star website. So all of your non lacrosse stuff, which I think people will be excited to to read more about, because you know you have been just in the lacrosse space. You've been doing broadcasting with with other sports. I mean. It, any chance we get some horse racing stuff on uh, on Five Star? Maybe you know I don't really have the access I used to, uh, <laughs> but but I can I probably you know over over the summer and uh, the Preakness certainly I can get access. But uh, I was up at I was up at Saratoga last summer. You know that that I haven't been in that crowd it since uh, two thousand I don't know five or six. Okay. But but uh, you know I I did twenty college football games. I was at the Senior Bowl last week. Uh, the wrestling I've I've great access and sometimes I feel as if the shows are over and I still have stories to tell and I still mm-hmm. have uh, uh, things to relate. And, and so this will be a good opportunity for me to carry through with, with some of those uh, experiences. Now, just for our younger listeners, horse racing is kind of how you got your start though, right? In, in no. this, this whole thing. All right. So how did it no, all start no, for you? That, that was uh, completely accidental uh, during the summers in the late uh, early two thousands. Okay. I, well, when I was in college, I ended up painting homes, painting houses in Saratoga, New York. Okay. That's how it started. So one day it rained and I walked up to the racetrack. Okay. Uh, and so I, I return, I've returned to Saratoga every summer. I have a lot of good friends up there. And I started writing for a newspaper up there, uh, a sport, just a, the horse racing paper that's, that's released during the meet. And at the same time, I was covering lacrosse for the early years of major league lacrosse. And 
I, I, in my bag, I had to cover the, the newspaper and the producer turns to me and goes, well, look, what's on your bag? I go, oh, this is the, the Saratoga special. It's a paper I write for him. He goes, oh, you write for them? Well, it turns out that he was the producer of the morning show for the Kentucky Derby. That's the you know, Breakfast at Churchill, which is a 5, 7 a.m. show. Uh, and, and he gave me an opportunity the following year to come down there and, and, and be the reporter for that show. So that, that's how it started. Completely dumb luck. Uh, <laughs> but, just, but uh, you know, com- uh, the combination of two things that I enjoy. Right place, okay. right time. Yeah, I'm going to kick it over to Ryan, though, because Ryan's got some, you know, he just loves talking a lot. We have we have a lot of guests in lacrosse from Long Island, and Ryan is like our, our little bit of a historian here growing up in Copeg. So go ahead, Ryan. Well, you know, obviously, um, you know, yeah, we have the Long Island okay. connection Copeg, there. Like, that's like the country. That's, a, that's no, like not, country. Have you ever been to Copeg? <laughs> that's like Back two hours from where I grew up. Not I, I'm from Copenhagen and I went to Adelphi. I mean, it's 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 30 minutes at best, um, but might as well be the country. Everything you know, it's like everything east, of, every, everything in Suffolk County might as well be Canada for the people from Nassau County. I, I think Copeg had a good wrestler my senior year that that I was supposed to wrestle in the state championship game, but uh, state championship. They've had some. They've had some great wrestlers. Yeah. I think Kerry McCormick was one. I think he wrestled at Virginia Tech, and you know, there, there have been years where. Um, you know, I think, you know, the eighties was kind of like the heyday. I mean, yeah, exactly. lacrosse, 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 football, wrestling. Um, that was when Copeg won the Rutgers cup. And, you know, we ended up having an Enters award winner who was one of the first African-American all Americans for lacrosse and Al Ray played at Rutgers. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things, but, you know, and getting back to your Long Island roots a little bit. Um, you had the chance, I know growing up, you know, you know, it's, it's been well-documented. I mean, you're a Lindbrook guy. You played for one of the, one of the best high school coaches in, in the history of the game. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, that experience playing? Um, and you also had some pretty interesting teammates. One of them in particular is, is still strolling the, uh, division one sidelines up at UMass. So talk a little bit about that. Well, I mean, I, I had an amazing lacrosse experience. I, I, I was very lucky. My daughter, uh, who's 12 right now, uh, she, she often says to me, Daddy, I want to go back and, and grow up in the 70s and the 80s like you did. And, and I, I was really lucky. Our town had a rec program that was really inexpensive. Uh, it was 25 bucks, and they gave you a helmet and, and gloves, and all you had to supply was a stick. And I started in second or third grade. I remember when I was online, uh, Greg Canella, the head coach at UMass, yeah. was there. He was, he was three or four years older than me, and, and our moms were friends. And I guess his mom had said to Greg, hey, go over. Quint's really nervous. He's online there. So Greg Canella comes over to me online and says, don't worry, Quint, everything will be all right. You know, just and like, think about that, you know, when, when I'm, I'm in second or third grade yeah. and, and, and where we are now, uh, you know, it was a great, great rec program. Uh, we had tremendous coaches at the high school level, Tony Seaman, uh, Paul Wareham, who, you know, ended up as, 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 as a, a Herkimer coach, as a Herkimer yeah. coach. And then, and then Larry Glenn's was, was my coach. Uh, so I, I have uh, most incredible memories. A lot of my teammates went on to play D1. Uh, we had, we had, you know, a band of brothers. It was, it was just an, an incredible culture, played big games, played against good teams. Uh, you know, I, I, it was, uh, I feel very fortunate. Yeah. And I mean, you're going through that. I mean, obviously you've been well-documented. You were four-time All-American at Hopkins as a goalie and everything like that. But, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily know that you were, you were quite the accomplished wrestler in high school as well. Did you, did you win the Nassau counties twice and go to States? Yeah. Yeah. I won section eight twice uh, as a junior and, and, and a senior. 
Uh, and I went to I went to states once. My junior year, I actually uh, Mike Bevelock actually slammed me on my head in the, in, in the uh, Nassau County Finals, and so I won. <laughs> And, and, uh, but my dad and, and I said, you know what, you know, he, he, uh, he should go to States. He ended up winning the state championship and getting a scholarship to Penn state based on that weekend. So, uh, that was, we did the right thing. And then next year I got my hand raised. So, so yeah, there uh, you go. It's a great thing. But I mean, in, in terms of that, I mean, and now we're kind of, you know, talking about that. I mean, was, was wrestling in college ever a, a thing that you can oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, I was going to probably Growing up through 10th grade, I think wrestling was more on my radar than lacrosse. And then okay. somewhere in, in that sophomore to junior year, things spun. I didn't have a great ninth and 10th grade wrestling season. Uh, it was good, but, not, you know, not not college level good. Uh, my 11th and 12th grade le- years, I started to get recruited for wrestling. Gotcha. But, but lacrosse took off when I, when I was, uh, I would say, late in my sophomore to my junior year. Okay. And I mean, you're going through that process and, and, and I'm always, I always like to, you know, talk about, you know, the recruiting process now is very different than what it was. I mean, more so in the timeline and everything like that. Um, you know, and, and also back then, I mean, this was before Syracuse kind of took off. I mean, they were still a great program, but they hadn't taken off. What was your recruiting process like for you? And, and more importantly, you know, um, what brought you to Hopkins? You know, you, you start as a freshman and you, you're starting as a freshman for, you know, the most storied program in lacrosse history. I mean, what was that like for you? And, and kind of take us through that process, because, the, you know, I would like to think probably the, the mental toughness and the mental characteristics that you built as a wrestler definitely probably helped you, you know, through some of those challenging moments. Yeah, absolutely. The, the weirdest, like I'm old, OK, you know, but uh, <laughs> what, what, what's really crazy is my like my recruiting process. Uh, I took a trip to Virginia in September of my senior year. I took a trip to Johns Hopkins in January of my, <laughs> of my senior year. Okay. And, and uh, I committed in February of my senior year and I was considered early. Okay. A guy like Joe yeah. Bresch ended up going to North Carolina at a Loyola didn't commit until May of his senior year. So that, that's how, that, that's how the calendar was, 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 was different. Uh, you know, I, I looked at Army, Navy. My brother was uh, Navy, 1982 midfielder. So I grew up watching Navy lacrosse. Mm-hmm. I had tremendous respect for them. They, they didn't come after me very hard. And so I was going to go to Army uh, and, and uh, Virginia, Virginia or, or Johns Hopkins. Uh, my, my time at Hopkins was, was uh, you know, I, I lost my dad when I was a senior in, in, in high school. So I went there and, and I was kind of damaged goods, goods emotionally. And uh, without the help of, of my teammates and the support of our coaching staff, you know, uh, it would not have had a, a, a decent ending. And, and so I owe those people uh, a great deal. Tremendous. Now, would you say that based on your experience, are you a fan of the more recent push to delay the commitment process or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. The, the biggest thing I saw with the early recruiting, okay, whether the, whether the coaches got it right or not, a guy like Brennan O'Neill, obviously you can spot in eighth and ninth grade. Yeah. But, but, but the, the factor that people, you know, I have a seventh grader right now. Uh, my daughter's in seventh grade. Like when you're in eighth and ninth grade, you don't really know what you want to do. You, you don't know what classes you like. And, and when you go to a college and talk to a college coach, you don't know what the team's going to be. You don't know who's going to be on that team. And so the, the biggest thing about visits is, is the culture and the people. Do you fit in with the people? Uh, you know, is this a place that you see yourself uh, playing alongside guys who are going to become your friends for life? 
uh, your college teammates will become your friends for life. And when you're recruiting eighth and eighth and ninth graders, I, I think that's get, gets left out of the equation. It shocks me that anyone at any age can commit without doing an overnight visit for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned, seeing the team, getting to know people, seeing campus, being around things. And to try to do that in eighth or ninth grade just makes zero sense. It's, it's irresponsible, frankly, to have an eighth or ninth grader around that group of people that are so much more mature than they are. I, I agree with you. But from a, the parent's standpoint, it's like, Hey, do you want to go play football at Alabama? You sign on the line now. And yes, you can. And so yeah. why not sign? And, mm -hmm. you know, and the market just got really thrown out of whack by, by early recruiting. And a lot of coaches paid the price. Yeah. And to your point about Alabama, there are a few schools where they're going to have almost every major. And you know that you know what kind of product you're getting from the coaching staff. So there yeah. are a few exceptions for sure where you're like, it's not going to be a bad experience if I go to Duke, right? Like might not be the best experience compared to other options. It might have been the best fit, but it'll be a good fit. But for a lot of those second tier, third tier teams in D1, it's like there's a huge difference in between, you know, what one school will look like versus the other. Well, the, the, the irony of the situation is during that time period, I was covering the McDonald's All-American basketball game. And teams like North Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisville, would just wait. They wouldn't get involved in early recruiting. And they'd wait for the cream to rise to the top to the winter of senior years. And then they'd pluck. They'd say, hey, you, you're going to DePaul. I'm sorry. Uh, here's a full ride to come, come play with us at Kentucky. And so they just take the best five kids late in the process. And I'm surprised that that wasn't done more in lacrosse by the powers, by the Syracuse, the Johns Hopkins, uh, the Dukes, the Virginias, to just come in at the, to wait, not offer early, let it play out junior and senior tape. Hey, this guy's the best in the class. Come play for us. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it is a little bit of a surprise. I mean, we see that. I see that. I mean, Ryan's a D3 coach. You know, we've, we've both worked NAI D3, D1. I've seen that at lower level D1 schools trying to pick off the top D3 kids and a couple D2 kids at the yep. end all the mm -hmm. time. Absolutely. And, and Ryan, you've seen it too, where, you know, same thing couple of d2 schools coming in late offering just a little bit of money to the top d3 players now there's the bigger difference there's the academics than it is the money because the the levels are so like there's so much variety and parity in the academics between those two but we see it all the time at the lower level where they are doing that they're waiting till senior year i don't care that this kid's committed to a d3 for the last you know six months i'm just gonna give him a quick offer and then boom he's gone so we, we do see that, but I'm surprised we don't see it more at the top. And I don't know if it's out of just respect or just like a lack of, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why we don't see it. We'll have to get a D1 coach on here and ask. Well, you're, from, from experiences, you're seeing it a little bit more than you have in the past. And I, I think you're starting to see that with the wave of some of the, you know, the elder statesmen that have been in the game and been, been, at, the, been at the top level coaching for so long. It's a lot of the younger coaches that are trying to carve out a niche for themselves. And, and, and let's call it what it is. Um, as coverage has increased, as the game has received more exposure, contracts have gotten bigger and things like that. And more resources have been put into men's you know, lacrosse just in general. The, you know, the pressure to be successful is there. So, you know, you're kind of forced to do what you have to do. Yeah, and I think with the, with the transfer portal, you're also going to see more guys Continue to recruit through the verbal so yep. so I may lose out but I want to maintain that relationship because this athlete may go to the school down the road and, and be yep. unhappy and and if, if we've always gotten along and we always had an amicable relationship there's a chance he can he'll transfer in after a year or two
Yep. Yeah. And you're seeing Rucker, Rutgers is, is absolutely crushing it with that. I mean, they've yeah. done, so, I mean, they've, don't, never burn a bridge, never yep. burn mm-hmm. a bridge, maintain a great relationship. Absolutely. And I've seen just as many kids transfer because of teammates than because of coaches, because they say, Hey coach, I have this teammate from my travel team from Long Island Express. Like he's looking for a new home. What do you think? And, you know, there's rules behind how, you know, the order of things that happen from that point, but then at least, you know, they're on your radar and your kids are still recruiting for you because the kids want to win just as badly as you do. So it's, you can't stop recruiting. Ryan and I used to talk about this at the D3 level. Like you have to recruit these kids until they're on campus because you never know what's going to happen end of spring, senior year. And then even then until they're juniors, you're pretty much still recruiting like crazy to keep them on campus because it junior year is kind of when it eases up and it's kind of like harder to leave than it is to stay. But it's it's certainly a never ending process, and people don't really understand that about coaching. Like you're you're not done recruiting ever. There is no break, not even with the players that are committed or on campus. So constantly re recruiting your roster, and then yep. and then the commodity is playing time, and it'll be interesting now in in the era of the transfer portal whether we see coaches playing more people. Quite honestly, to keep keep the locker room happier. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's it. You know, happy people don't transfer. Yeah. Well, Jim Harbaugh had to do it with his quarterbacks because how many five-star quarterbacks did he recruit? And then he'd play a transfer and then that same five-star would leave. And now he played that, you know, he plays McCarthy a little bit all year long for two years, probably gets him to stay. And now he doesn't have to get another transfer quarterback to start. So there's something to be said about that. And the transfer portal is a whole nother uh, episode that we could <laughs> talk about, but yeah. Um, so let, let's talk about the landscape of D1 lacrosse this season. So, uh, Ryan, I haven't talked to you about this. I don't know who your team would be. I, I have my team picked out, but, but Quint, you, you can go third if you want, since we're kind of springing this on you, but you know, you're kind of famous for saying, you know, which, which the player needs to take an extra step to greatness to, you know, increase their angle for the shot. So I'm wondering which team makes that extra step to greatness this year that kind of comes out from mediocrity and, and kind of makes the push. And so I'll go first. It's completely biased. I've worked there. I went there as an undergrad. I'm going to go with U of M, uh, University of Michigan. And for the simple reason is I've seen them play a couple times now. Uh, they, they fared very well at Syracuse. They were finally pricked, picked in the preseason poll as number four uh, for the conference, which is the highest I think that they've ever been picked. And I honestly think that they could finish the season third in the Big Ten, which would be, you know, that's, that's ranked pretty much every year at this point. And so I just think that the depth that they have, I mean, they're, and they're missing one of their top two attackmen, I would say, to injury. So I think they finally have the depth. I think Connery's got everything going in the right direction. I think this is the year where they, you know, they finally stop being competitive and start actually winning some of those games that are close that slip away in the fourth the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything you've said there. I think they're, they're an intriguing team based on what we saw late in the year, based on what they return. Uh, based on a league other than Maryland, that's kind of a crap uh, crapshoot. It's it's kind of a jumble. You know, we don't know what to expect from Penn State, Ohio State. Johns Hopkins is just like, eh. Rutgers has obviously got a lot of moving parts. I think they'll be strong, but but it's unlikely they, they can, uh, you know, catch the magic like they did. So I, I can't disagree with that. You know, when I look at this year right now, in my eyes, I think there's three teams that stand out above the rest in, in, uh, in Virginia, Maryland, and Duke. I think the next tier – Teams like Georgetown, who can make a run at the whole thing. Uh, I'm interested to see what teams, as I said, like Rutgers and, and North Carolina, losing so much 
midfield scoring, what they look like. I'm intrigued by uh, like by Michigan. Uh, I'm intrigued by a team like Bryant, who uh, nearly yeah. beat Virginia in the first round of the playoffs. They can take that that next step. A team like Lehigh, who brings a heck of a lot back, who had a great regular great regular season, and then kind of hit the wall at the end with that loss to Rutgers. I think I think games like that carry over in a positive way for a team in terms of their hunger. Uh, it's it's a Lehigh roster that that's that's pretty loaded, and I think they'll be more mature, and I think they'll be more will you know able to handle the success they're going to have in 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 the patriot league yeah and speaking of the patriot league army is another one of those teams where they've been on the fringe they don't get all the respect because they'll lose a couple games that you just wonder how did you lose that game but then they'll go in and blow the the doors off of other teams and they've got so much talent this year that if there is a year for them to really make a run recently this has got to be the one in in my opinion seniors brendan nick turn they always play great defense at Army. Okay, we know that. The league's really difficult this year. The, the Patriot League is, is loaded. My, my big, biggest concern, and I wrote about it in my top 20 this week, is, is Army typically has started off strong February, March, and they haven't played their best wow. game lately. They haven't played great in, at the end of April uh, and, and, and into May. In fact, they're, they're less than 500 team in those, in those months since 2015. Now, why is that? Well, the demands of, of West Point are, are certainly unlike any, any other place. Uh, you know, I, I think if when you're a coaching staff, you have to look at how you you move your team along. Do they lack a certain amount of depth? Uh, you know, do they rely too much on too few parts and other teams catch them? Uh, so I, I don't know what the answers are. That's what the data says. But certainly uh, Army's a team that can get themselves in the top 10 this year. Absolutely. Ryan, do you have a surprising team that you wanted to throw in there? <clears throat> Well, I mean, Quinn said it. I mean, my two for this year were going to be Lehigh and Bryant. Um, you know, there's just something about those two programs. I mean, I think Lehigh, um, you know, like you said, the Patriot League is stacked this year. Um, but at the same time, you know, Lehigh brings back so much. You know, I think they've got one of the most um, interesting and polarizing characters at the Faceoff X this year, um, you know, that I think um, can really be um, a difference maker for them. It was a difference maker last year, continue to be a difference maker this year. I think that's a team that, you know, they're already well coached. It's how do you manage, you know, this season? And, you know, for the most part, you know, while, you know, there are some COVID challenges that we're going to deal with over the course of the year, um, it's for the most part, you know, return to normalcy. Well, how, you know, how do they, how do they manage that over the course of the, over the course of the season? Um, you know, and then on, on, on the side of Bryant, another team that, um, you know, had a, had a great finish to the year. I think that, you know, with everything that they have returning, obviously with the coaching staff that they have there and, and the conference that they're in, um, you know, they're going to be a team that, you know, you're not going to want to see in May. So I, I think those two teams, um, if I had to pick one, I would probably go with Lehigh, but, um, you know, I, I feel really strongly about Brian. You know, one thing from that, that kind of hit me last year was that, you know, no, I, no Ivy league, uh, big 10 had the conference only scheduling. Yep. It felt like the ACC was like dominating the country. And then you had Maryland, you know, just, yeah. just roll. And then there was kind of like a, a drop off and there was like no middle class, so to speak. Yeah. Now with the Ivy league, all of a sudden the influx, we have full non-conference schedule scheduling all the leagues. And, and I, I think, I think you'll see less ACC dominance this year. Yep. And I, I think you'll see a rising tide from, from those middle, middle of the pack teams. I think we're going to see more upsets of top yep. 10 teams. I think everyone's more on an even playing ground this year. I think it'll be a better year in terms of, of storylines, you know, teams, someone coming out of the Patriot league, the Ivy league, the, the CAA in America East are always yeah. great. 
and the, and the SOCON, the SOCON has shown us. Oh, absolutely. Those, I mean, between Richmond and High Point, um, I mean, it's you, you never know. Those guys are those guys are hard outs every two, year. Two teams nobody um, wants to play. Exactly right. But I mean, if I had to pick, you know, a couple others that I'm interested to see how they manage, um, you know, Harvard, you know, in in yeah. in a season like this, you know, uh, going into the actual COVID year and last year in, in particular, you know, they brought in some, they've had some serious guys flip to go to Harvard. So they've, you know, they're, they're getting high quality recruits. Um, you know, the Campisi kid um, all out of Long Island that went to St. Anthony's is an absolute stud. Um, but then I'm also to see, you know, uh, I'm interested to see kind of what Maris does this year, actually having, um, you know, kind of a return to normalcy as well. They're always a team that's, you know, that's in the mix, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, not just winning their conference, but, you know, they're very disruptive. That's a team you don't want to play on a Tuesday. Well, uh, it's, it's like Utah. They got, a, they got a midweeker against Rutgers this week. Yep. Yeah. Well, we, we kind of, Ryan and I actually called when, when they were looking at, uh, we, we did a podcast about who could take over the Utah job and because it's a unique spot and, and all this stuff. And we actually, we mentioned uh, McMinn and we also, uh, help me out here, Ryan at Marist. Um, Wilkinson, Wilkie. Yeah. We mentioned both those guys as possibilities because they do so much with so little when you when you look at what you know what resources that they have, and I think Utah is a team that we already saw push Denver to the to the last minute there, and maybe that injection of just a new coach is going to be exactly what it takes to to get them through because I don't know a coach that really can can maximize talent the way that he does and he again no one likes playing Robert Morris because they're so hard to to prepare for. And, you know, even do, even Donowski said that this past week, he's like, I don't like prepping for them because it's like, you know, it's like prepping for Georgia tech or, or Navy in football. It's, it's just really difficult unless yeah. it's something you see every week. Look, look there, there, there's like Delaware, Drexel. Yep. Uh, you mentioned Marist, uh, you know, who, 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 you know, who prevails in, in, in the Ivies, Albany, like there, there's, there's, yeah. a, like, there's a dozen really interesting teams uh, I got to see Jacksonville in week one. They're, they're mm -hmm. you know, they're nipping at, 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 at Richmond and High Point. I watched a High Point Richmond's playoff game in, in the SoCon last night. And, you know, those two, Towson. those two teams are inches apart. Towson rise up. Uh, yeah. You know, I, the, the game's never been been stronger from teams, mm -hmm. let's say, 15 through 40 are like yeah. in the same little bunch. It's the worst part of the poll because 15 through anything, like the last five is just who, who do you, who do you like this week is all it is. Yeah. Yeah. You, you honestly, you could I, you, like, occasionally I'll throw somebody in there, just experiment. Like, does anyone notice that I, that I put, uh, that I put Quinnipiac at number 19? Like, well, let's yeah. talk about that. So something people did notice, not on your poll specifically, but on many polls is the lack of a Syracuse. And obviously they're going through a lot of changes but how long do we think until Syracuse is not back to where they were as, you know, one of the most storied programs, but how long do we think until they're, you know, a top 15 team routinely again, realistically? I, I think I probably overreacted to their scrimmage uh, loss two weeks ago. <laughs> Apparently they, they played really well in, in the most recent scrimmage against Loyola and it's the Greyhounds now who have, who have gotten, uh, thrown around twice in scrimmages, Richmond and, and Cuse. But uh, Anish Shroff, who's calling their game, I think this weekend or next, sent me a, a preliminary two deep. And I got to tell you, it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's not a top 10 roster. Right. Uh, they, they, 
they're not rolling out their top 10 Syracuse type team. And while I love Gary Gate and Dave Petromala and, and they have some really, really nice players, I just don't see that, that, that wave of overwhelming talent there right now that, that where they can just show up and beat people like they did for, for decades. So, mm-hmm. you know, I could put them at 15, they're somewhere in 15 through 25 range right now. And my eyes yeah. are kind of wait, wait, I'm just playing the waiting game and see what they show up with. A hundred percent. I think two recruiting classes will go a very, very long way. And it's kind of the same thing with Harvard, right? Like it's just a matter of time before Jerry gets the Harvard defense to look like the, the old Notre Dame defenses. And I think that's kind of what's been missing for, for a Harvard program for a while is you get the occasional, I mean, they, they have struggled on the offensive end for sure, but you'd get the occasional, you know, all world score. And then there's just nothing behind it. And the, the Ivy league is so competitive on offense. Like you have to have a stout defense. And I, I think again, two recruiting cycles for Jerry. And I think we could be looking at Harvard and, you know, instead of Cornell or instead of Princeton pretty soon here. I, I don't want to jump the gun. I mean, I'm just, I'm high on the coach more than I am on the program. And uh, I think it's just a matter of time. All right. So let's, let's end the D one talk with that. So we, we did have a random question for you, Quint, and that's, you know, a lot of the kids today that they know, I guess, younger goalies. And a lot of people, a lot of these goalies that, that these kids know say that they looked up to guys like you. So who are the goalies or go, who is a goalie that you looked up to when you were playing that you kind of, you know, modeled your game after if you did at all? Yeah, it was a lot harder when I was growing up because obviously the internet didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, cable television was just getting underway. And so the opportunity to watch older goalies was very limited. It was like two or three games a year were on TV. So everything was much more local. You know, who did you get to watch? Who played at your high school when you were a kid growing up? Well, for me, it was a guy named Mike Maxwell, who, 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 who was an outstanding goalie. He was a guy I always idolized. Then I remember watching Larry Quinn play for Levittown Memorial uh, at Limburg High School when I was in middle school and, and seeing Bill Tierney warm him up. And Larry's stance was really low with his stick out. Stick out was almost parallel to the ground like this. And I'm watching this guy. I'm like, wow, skinny, really smooth. Uh, you know, obviously, he'd go to Hopkins and tear it up. After that, you know, my brothers had a goalie at Navy named Jeff Johnson. He, he was a soccer player and, and a goalie at Navy. And I loved his game because he used every time he got the ball, he'd run up the field and, and clear it. It was the human clear. Uh, he, he was super speedy. You know, Tommy Nims, who played at Syracuse, was a guy that, that I loved his game, too. He was just so fearless and so gutsy. And then, then Tom Sears. Uh, and then so many of the guys I played against, you know, whether it was Sal or Schmoller, uh, uh, you know, Jerry DiLorenzo, uh, good rivalries, but also, you know, uh, inspiring to play against them and to know you had to be sharp. And, and uh, the world was a lot smaller. The world was a lot smaller then, and, and access to great goalies was, was pretty limited. It's a lot of great names, too. So, Ryan, who, who, who was your bet that you thought he was going to mention, possibly? Well, when he said it, and I said it, and I thought about it, and I'm like, you know what, he's right. You know, he was around. He was a, he was a great goalie, but he was a Manhasset guy, Bob Rule. But, yeah, Bob Rule's before my time. I, I yeah, think that's what, and that's when I said it. I'm like, as you said it, I was like, it, that's way before. That's not way. Yeah. It's, it's, before, it's before your time. Coach Rule and Coach Lowe, I remember making many yeah. trips Manhasset and uh, losing like six to five, five to four when yeah. our offense score against their zone and feel, feel we just couldn't, we just could not score against their zone for years. Fair enough. Well, I, I mean, it's really insightful. So, you know, Ryan and I, so you, you've been calling games for years now and, you know, 
typically as as a color analyst. So Ryan and I are actually calling the Michigan game against Holy Cross in, in two Saturdays from now. So any advice, any advice to us for our, you know, it'll be Ryan's first time. I'm actually calling the Detroit game on Saturday. So that'll be my first lacrosse game. But any tips from you on uh, on the whole broadcasting thing? No, you know, I'm actually, I was, I'm actually, I, I have uh, Richmond and North Carolina. So I've started my boards with yep. Carolina. I've got Carolina a bunch this month, so I can, I can really invest on, on a beautiful board with, with all their, you know, all their names, where they're from. I, I think the key, to, you know, to, to just simplify it. Okay. There's a play-by-play guy. There's an analyst stay out of each other's way. Uh, role definition. Like one, one guy is, is, is the point guard. And, and the other guys talking about goals and talking about tactics. I think you want to identify who your audience is. You know, are, are, are you, are, is this a hardcore audience or is this a, a, a new audience and, and, and kind of go in the direction that you're serving your, serving your audience, uh, have fun, you know, storytell and, and, and try not to talk over too many goals. You know, uh, that's the hardest part to every time I, I start telling a story, someone slips and the other guy runs in and scores a goal. Yeah, yeah, we, we were talking about that. We made a rule that if Ryan's telling a story and someone scores, he's just got to call the goal. That way, it, it doesn't. You know, likely. that way I don't have to cut him off too hard. He can cut himself off. Oh yeah. man, you, back in the day when I call MLL games with Joe Beninati, I mean, he oh, would my favorite. He would practically turn and punch me in the face. When I talk about <laughs> <laughs> he's he one of my so, favorites for sure. So, Joe would be so pissed. I mean, he's like classic old school broadcaster, like you know, stay out of my way. I'm the play by play. Now it's a little less, but I still feel guilty every time I talk over a goal and you'll see me like pounding my fist. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great advice. That's great advice. So Quint, we, we love having you on the, you know, in the LAS family, we're excited to have you as a, as a constant contributor for Lax All-Stars. I'm excited personally to get you on five-star news and, and get a lot of your non-lacrosse stuff out there to the world. And uh, we thank you for your time and, and we look forward to hearing you on many calls coming up here pretty soon. Yeah, it should be fun. I think we're sitting on a really strong year. I, I think the sport is uh, in a good spot with, you know, our, our, our fan base is growing. The product is incredible and uh, we'll just keep pushing forward. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe, give us a review and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Going Offsides. Sides.